You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. So Yu uh, Yun is at the moment in uh, the, the Netherlands doing her PhD um, and her f- official title is Senior Advisor on ASEAN and Human Rights at the Human Rights Working Group in Indonesia. Thank you so much, Yu Yun, for being here. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, let me introduce also uh, Chem Sre Uun, who is uh, a young, uh, 2016 young Southeast Asian leader and research manager at a consultancy, a leading data insight and consultancy company in Cambodia. So thank you very much for coming as well. And last but not least, Martida, very important person also from Myanmar. She's many things, a surgeon, writer, human rights activist, and a former prisoner of conscience. And she has written books in Myanmar as well. Uh, her books include The Roadmap, which is a fictional story based on events in Burmese politics from 1988 to 2009. And she's also written Prisoner of Conscience. Uh, she's won several human rights awards as well. Um, so let's kick off this conversation. Uh, Yu Yun, I do want to go to you first, because as I said, you've really got your finger on the pulse when it comes to what's happening in ASEAN on these issues. Um, so there's a lot of talk uh, at summits, right, of uh, people-centered, people-oriented. This was a thing also in Manila in April in the summit. But in reality, how, how happy are you with the progress that's been made on these issues? I think um, the ASEAN people-oriented and ASEAN people-centered, uh, that's the term that has been introduced by, by ASEAN lately, need to be applauded. But in terms of implementation, it's very difficult, uh, or at least people do not feel that they become part of ASEAN. Um, if you ask people in Southeast Asia, for instance, whether they are their nationality, whether they are coming from their uh, ethnic group or whether they are ASEAN, they will say, like myself, my name is Yuyun, I'm Indonesian, I'm Javanese, but to say that I'm ASEAN is something too far away. You don't feel the belonging. You don't feel uh, that you are part of the region. So that's commonly, uh, commonly appear in number of uh, uh, discussion I met with civil society from all over the region. Nevertheless, I think and I still believe that uh, common identity is, remain, remains a uh, work in progress in ASEAN. And the way I see it, it has uh, been done in two ways. The first one is more, um, like more formal through the um, ASEAN Charter. I think ASEAN Charter has, has a direction of how this region want to become and how uh, people need to contribute to, to, the, to the region. So this region, according to ASEAN, ASEAN Charter, respect human rights, uh, the region that uh, will be uh, following the failure of democracy, rule of law, and good governance. Uh, so that's mainly some of the narrative of, 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 the, of the state in relation to common identity uh, we have. Um, at the same time, there are informal ways of building this uh, narrative of ASEAN peoples-centered uh, or ASEAN peoples-oriented through the ASEAN uh, Civil Society Conference or the ASEAN People's Forum that annually organize in different countries of ASEAN. 
the number of people coming to this meet, to this this forum has been tremendous. The in, the increase uh, the increment of the number of people was very very fabulous. The first uh, ASEAN Civil Society Conference uh, we organized in 2005 in Malaysia was attended by 100 150 people. But in Jakarta, 2011, there was uh, 1,500. In Myanmar, in 2013 or 14, uh, we had 3,000 people. And then in Malaysia, we had, in 2015, 1,500. In 2016, unfortunately, we have to move to East Timor because the chair uh, did not allow us to have uh, the conference in the country. Nevertheless, uh, we had around 750 people coming to Southeast Asia and beyond to Delhi. Um, people coming to this meeting are not, they have to find their own sources. So uh, imagine how eager they want to go together and discuss about ASEAN, want to know about ASEAN, and to wa want to feel about ASEAN. Uh, nevertheless, there has been a number of gaps between how state see the ASEAN peoples oriented and the way people themselves see ASEAN peoples oriented itself. And I believe there is a need to have uh, to, to minimize the gap. There is a need to have a dialogue. There is a need to have a mechanism on how the idea from people and from the state can come together at some point. I believe there will be a lot of disagreements in between, uh, but this kind of efforts uh, deserve to be, uh, to be done. But uh, Yuyun, just to follow up very quickly, what's the gap? So what is the difference between the way the leaders are approaching the issue and the way your friends, the People's Forum, civil society is approaching the way. What's this gap that you've defined? So, for instance, in terms of identity, people usually or commonly, and I believe, they will reject the idea of identity of being ASEAN, ignoring the rights of people. Uh, if identity mean, if our identity as ASEAN population means that Rohingya uh, will be remain as uh, the most prosecuted uh, people in the world, then we, we of course, against that identity. If the identity means that whenever we comment uh, something or do we, uh, comment something on Facebook or social media and then we get arrested, that is the, not the identity what we want. I think uh, the respect of human rights, having uh, security of personal security, living in this region, this is something that identity that everyone uh, wants to live uh, in peace, to live in, you know, uh, rule of law, basically. So um, uh, the identity that's shared by uh, uh, civil society every year uh, that has been discussed so far is uh, they are dreaming of ASEAN to be like what what the leaders have been said in the charter. Uh, respect human rights, um, uh, uh, uphold the failure of democracy, rule of law, and good governance. Mm. 
but you're asking for a very major shift in the way ASEAN operates, which, which has always been consensual, non-interference, etc. So let's come back to those issues, but thank you for raising them, because one would argue, if I could say to the policymakers here, that in the next 50 years, with the challenges that are there, changes will have to come. And in, in a way, some changes are already being made, even as we speak, when it comes to certain issues which were taboo, but which are now on the agenda. So thank you for that. We'll come back to the, uh, the good news and the bad news on human rights uh, in, 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 in a second. Tita, I wanted to come to you now, and if you would like to comment on the issues. And by the way, sorry, I, my bad. I should introduce, uh, but I don't need to introduce you, Reinhard. Reinhard Butikofer, a member of the European Parliament, working on many, many issues, and now rapporteur on EU-ASEAN relations. And he was delayed because you had to vote. It was a good thing that you've been voting, uh, Reinhard. Not all your colleagues tend to do that, so bravo. Uh, so, Tida, please, if you could come to the issues that Yuyun has raised about uh, uh, people's identity. Uh, well, as we all uh, acknowledge, even for the formation of ASEAN community itself is based on the fear to the threats. And most of our fear uh, that the threat is the conflicts. And the ASEAN's ways to react to these conflicts is a lot of people acknowledge that it's a white the conflict. And the resolutions should be for the younger generations. More or less, what kind of conflicts is we do have intra-country conflicts, inter-country conflicts, inter-regional conflicts. And throughout the history, the ASEAN community, how we gone through is being silent to these kind of conflicts. Or we make ourselves into the self-isolation. Or we solve the problems at the expense of violating the human rights of the people. So for that reason, I think the, the understanding towards each other, even inter-countries or in, intra-countries, is still missing. And the leaders of the ASEAN community, it's, it's kind of the heads of the ASEAN community is more or less combined or integrated just based on the trade, to be frank. So more, more on more focusing on the trades and people feeling that we are not well integrated into the community. Most of the role of the people is like the migrant workers or the laborers. It's like the hands of the community. So we, most of the time we just focus on either heads or the hands of the community, but where is the hearts, the inspiration between our community? Because of the self-isolations and these kind of the uh, violation, the human rights of the people, inside our each countries or the inter-community, we still don't understand what's going on. We really cannot learn much about each other. And, you know, even for every country, we, uh, because of the colonialism, we might know more about Europe and EU, but not each other. It's still going on, even though there are so many conferences, there are so many inter-exchange programs, so-and-so, but not through our hearts. 
because we really don't yet learn about each other community or society. I think even the, every country just hope the EU as the assistance to our developments. And we never ever think we can still make the relationship in, based in the inspiration. And having uh, heart's connection is still yet missing. So that's why I think uh, learning about each other is not just easy, not just through the development assistance. It should be either literature, arts, or other kind of the inspirational or value-based projects. Otherwise, we cannot understand each other and we never ever think as one single community. That's the feeling of the, I think, the people of the ASEAN community right now. Since we, we live in kind of the virtual world throughout the history and really, really cannot imagine what is the ASEAN as a community to make a space for more people into our community. So that's why I think we're still struggling to reach out because we never ever learn each other. That's, that's the reason I think we're still struggling to learn about each other, to thinking of one identity together. And that's the real problem, I think. Right. Uh, Jean-Pierre, sounds very similar, doesn't it, to what uh, challenges we face in Europe? Uh, a European identity, where's the heart, inspiration, connecting with people. I mean, it seems to me like there are very similar challenges out there, many similar aspirations out there. And, and the EU institutions also face the challenge of connecting, of inspiring, and reaching out to the hearts and souls. I mean, we've just had Brexit, for instance. I think um, ASEAN must learn the mistakes committed by the European Union. And the comment that I've made over the years I, is that uh, there's been a monetary union, there's talk of a fiscal union, we talk about banking union, but there's no emotional union. And where I think the, uh, I mean, I, I'm a great Europhile. I was born in 1945. I know what Europe was like before I was born. For my children and grandchildren, it's history. So I think one of the greatest failures that Europe has made is the failure to convey a dream. So I, I think a lot of people, I have two, my, my daughter and granddaughter live in the UK. They voted Remain, but of course they voted Remain, but it's what uh, Rula Khalaf called passive voting. You go, you, I have to vote, you go, I have to vote, and I'll vote. But it's not sort of, hey, let's go, let's go to vote because you know, we all really believe in Europe, etc. And that it's become uh, unfortunate in a sense. And I think it's a major problem that needs to be revived. I would say the same point about ASEAN. I've been going to ASEAN for 50 years. I was there in 67 when it was created. I was there coincidentally. I didn't go on purpose, but I was there. And I've been going backwards and forwards. In 1980s, I was running a program called the EU ASEAN Transfer of Technology and Socioeconomic Development Program, which was taking place in the original five countries. So one year in Philippines, one year in Thailand and so on and so forth. And it was the point that was being made by Delia. That the people, the Filipino didn't know anything about Thailand. The Thailand didn't know anything about Indonesia. They were discovering each other. We've gone past that. 
So now that generation, the elite, are per perfectly at ease with each other and know each other and have a lot of camaraderie, etc. But I think the point that my colleagues here are making, it hasn't sufficiently filtered down, and I absolutely love your heads, hands, and heart. I'm going to plagiarize that. So I think it's a very, very, very important point and uh, critical for the next 50 years uh, because if that's, that's not solidified, then I think the foundations are going to be weak. So an emotional union in both ASEAN and the EU to compensate or to connect with, with you know, people. You there's this great uh, uh, film, uh, Pacific, where there's a song cause, cause that goes, you've got to have a dream because if you don't have a dream, how, you can ha how can you have a dream come true? So I think uh, this is very important in terms of particularly motivating the next generations. I mean, just for example, on something like globalization, I think the session is called Winners and, Glo and Losers. We're all winners in globalization. Some have won more than others. But basically the world since 1989, when you've had globalization, is an infinitely better place. Huge decrease in poverty, much more trans connectivity, et cetera, et cetera. But we, the elite, and I include myself in this, not you, have sold it badly. So that it's seen as something which is an elitist project, again, even though that isn't the case. So the global dream is something that also needs to be uh, conjured up to communicate and not simply go into a corner and be seen to be you know, running the world irrespective of the interests of the other members of the community. Mm. We'll come back to the issue of... Uh the ASEAN miracle and the ASEAN dream. I think that's something that we need to talk, talk about. We're, at Friends of Europe, we're always struggling with the European dream as well. Uh, so I think these are parallels to be drawn. Owen, um, this first session, and you know, we talk a lot about the economics of our relationship, the FDI, the foreign direct investment coming in, uh, globalization, you know, trade. Are we forgetting domestic economic growth in the, all this? I mean, you said to me, we need to also be self-sufficient. Please. Um, well, actually, just to comment on the yeah, people sure. identity, um, we actually don't really have common goal yet among people of Asian countries. So just like he said, we don't have dreams, so it's really hard for us to achieve things. In economic as well, um, we see that um, there is a lot of um, effort in making uh, the integration among um, the economic, among Asian countries, including Cambodia and Laos and Myanmar, which are the emerging economy. But uh, this effort are still Need, are still limited, and we, need, we still need to engage in the local level. By looking at the um, um, regional level, we've seen that ASEAN is doing pretty good, but, um, but by looking at in each individual countries, so the gap is still there, that we need to look at um, how the economics of each country are performing. Um, but I, I actually look, um, have done a research myself at the ground with um, factory workers in Cambodia. Um, there's a lot of effort of the government and um, in increasing the minimum wage in, um, to, in order to help the well-being and to decrease the inequality between um, those who are very... Um, uh, beneficial from the economics and those who are not really beneficial from economic. But um, among those um, people who are very um, limited, have really limited access to um, economic and especially fa factory government workers, they, they actually, the way that they, uh, they, 
they gain more in terms of um, the number, the amount that they gained. So they, they get up to 153 US dollar per month. That's the minimum wage. But the, that, but it's not only that. We need to look at the way that they are living, the well-being of those people, because um, in reality, they are, they are increasing in the minimum wage, but also increasing in the, uh, the price of goods, um, the way that they leave, um, uh, the electricities, and many, many other things that we should also consider, um, the inflation rates in the, um, in the society that um, probably not um, really including them, uh, really making them in the, a better, better well-being living in the society. Even the economic is really developing. Right. Okay. But you are also working on um, uh, technology, right? How is that transforming uh, the situation? Um, are, are you talking about um, politically or economically? Economically, yeah. Uh, economically. Um, in Cambodia, uh, they're still limited um, in terms of technology, but um, I've seen that uh, there is increasing in access to uh, technology as well, and especially social media. And now, currently, the middle class are, are, are catching up with that, and it's really, really good for them to um, really engage themselves in the globalization process. So um, we see a lot of... Uh, middle class emerging, but the middle class itself, we are still in the lower middle class, which is not um, the, high, the, the high middle class one. And yeah, so we're still struggling in terms of technology, but it looks pretty good, and I'm pretty optimistic about that um, in the coming years. Thank you. Reinhard, you arrived late, but we had just started. You're working on this report on EU-ASEAN relations, and having heard uh, what was said by our panelists about uh, the need to connect with people, giving uh, issues of human rights, you know, people-centered ASEAN. Are those issues on your, on your agenda as well, the parliament? Certainly they are. Uh, I believe that these issues are indeed core because if a family of nations like the EU or ASEAN are not founded well in the hearts of the people, they can be sustained for a while through the institutions, but they will never thrive in the long term. And of course, if we then talk about the relationship between such families of nations, the same applies. So I think that people-to-people -people exchanges or exchanges between parliamentarians or between young leaders or whatever, I mean, there are so many uh, dimensions that offer themselves uh, to enhance and deepen the relationship. Uh, I think we should uh, clearly uh, invest uh, in, into that. Uh, but again, this is not only being done on the level of the unitary institutions. So the EU is not only being built and defended at the so-called European level, neither ASEAN. Uh, I believe uh, there has to be a certain kind of EU centrism or ASEAN centrism also in the national policies that the member countries apply. If they don't view their own national policies also under the specter of how it contributes, then if there's not 
an ownership in building the community by the member states and civil societies inside the member states, I don't think it's going to be successful. Are there any other points that your report is going to make that are relevant to the issues of globalization uh, and people-to-people -people contacts, etc.? Because there are winners and losers, and they're agitated. Well, I tend to agree uh, with what has been said before, that there are mostly winners. There are clearly also some losers. So the lower classes in the industrialized countries, those are basically the losers. So there's a backlash against globalization uh, from that uh, angle. And I think we uh, have to address that through our domestic policies. So uh, clearly that's a huge task uh, for the EU. Um, but also I think it is important to educate the public about the role that organizations like ASEAN or EU play in allowing people to really help shaping their own future. I would argue that one of the shortcomings when we look at how we cooperate in Europe over the last years has been that we have underemphasized the need of cooperating in order to play a role at all on the global theater. Uh, a former Belgian politician once said, in the EU there are just two kinds of countries, small countries and countries that do not yet know they're small. Uh, well, I'm, I don't want to comment on uh, ASEAN, but at, I, I would say this applies to, uh, to uh, the, the EU. And I find increasingly at the present moment an understanding uh, that the role of the EU cannot only be understood by navel-gazing, by looking at how we manage our internal relationships, but also by understanding how the EU together can play a central role in defending our values, our interests, and contributing uh, responsibly to the shaping of a better future. So I think this is an understanding that is growing at the moment in the EU. Um, to some degree, the challenges, the tremors, the shifts, that the major sort of question marks that have been raised through various events like Brexit have contributed to this new learning phase, I would argue, because normally people find it hard to understand the value of the status quo. Because how do you measure that? Right. But if it's undermined, if it's put into question, then you learn a better lesson about why it's worth building on that. Mm. So the need for better communication and perhaps something to learn about being enthusiastic, inspirational, about defending globalization, perhaps a bit uh, like what um, Emmanuel Macron just did in France, in a, in a sense. So the challenge is on. Um, let me open the floor now to uh, questions and comments 
from all of you. I see a couple of hands go up. Um, and I have, yeah, Raphael, there's a lady. Just can you keep your hand up, please, the lady? Please identify yourselves. Good morning. My name is Dana Graber-Ladek, and I'm the Chief of Mission of the International Organization for Migration's Thailand office. And we have been talking a lot about uh, economic development, and my question uh, concerns labor migrants. Uh, migration, labor migration is extremely important in ASEAN, both for the sender countries who rely on the remittances and for the receiving countries who rely so much um, on, uh, on labor migration for their industries. Uh, certainly, certain industries would come to a halt if, uh, if there was no labor migration or if it suddenly stopped. And of course, it's also of an interest to Europe uh, in terms of its supply chain. Uh, and, and knowing that Europe sources from um, countries in the ASEAN. And so my question has to do with um, uh, trafficking and slavery and labor exploitation that we see quite frequently in, uh, in ASEAN countries uh, due to migrants not, having, um, not being documented in the countries where they're working or uh, not having the, the procedures in place, the policies in place, or not implementing those. And so my question for you is, what recommendations do you have uh, in order to help protect uh, labor migrants that are so key to economic development for ASEAN? Thank you very much. I think you, you perhaps take that question because I know you've done quite a lot of work on that. Yeah. At the moment, uh, ASEAN has a uh, convention on uh, anti-trafficking, ACTIP. Uh, it has come to force because six uh, countries have ratified the convention. So we are now uh, led by a senior official meeting on transnational organized crime. A number of institutions and commission in ASEAN had been come into efforts, like ASEAN Commission on Women and Children last year, uh, release a publication on mapping the measures of member states of ASEAN in dealing with trafficking in person, especially women and children. Um, the ASEAN Intergovernmental Commission on Human Rights also, or ICER, also organized a number of consultation to come up with uh, regional plan of actions uh, uh, from that, that part. Um, number of institutions now jump into the way again. Uh, to what extent the collaboration happening, that's something that we want to see more. Because uh, ASEAN tend to come up with number of agreement, declaration, uh, statements. What we want to see is what, what can be done on the ground. Uh, the ASEAN um, uh, instruments on migrant, migrant workers, uh, we expected we expected earlier to, to, to be adopted last April in summit, but apparently we have to wait until November with a num number of unsolved issues among member states. I think the, the perception still, the position continue that, that, that has been arrived uh, from, uh, fr uh, from the discussion in the last 10 years. It has been about the interest of uh, sending countries, the interest of uh, receiving countries. ASEAN missed the, un, the perception or the, the, the possible uh, understanding that sending countries can be sometime uh, receiving countries at the mo uh, because, mm -hmm. like for instance, Indonesia. Indonesia is, has been uh, seen as or considered as uh, sending microphone? countries. Yeah. 
but uh, Indonesia also received number of migrant workers from different different countries, not only from Southeast Asia, also from beyond. Uh, but Indonesia does not have ability to deal with migrant workers. So attitude of Indonesia rather uh, deport them, similar like the countries that, that Indonesia had been criticizing in ASEAN. So again, I think the division, the fragmentation uh, between sending and receiving countries should be blurred, should be you know, discussed in the manner that F any countries in Southeast Asia or ASEAN can be in that position mm. at some point. Mm. So I think with that kind of uh, entry point, uh, some cooperation can be, can be met. Uh, I understand there are a number of issues in uh, receiving countries, also in, in, in sending countries, corruption and many things. But as long as ASEAN cannot, I don't want to, uh, cannot be... Um, honest about their problem, I don't think that the problem itself uh, solve. Um, so, uh, in, in relation to irregular migrant, migrant uh, uh, ASEAN also organized number of uh, meetings. Unfortunately, was not attended by 10. Like, for instance, when, when, the, when the issue on, on Rohingya, both people, people used to name it, um, some countries do not want to attend. Because of the nomination, the name. Sorry. Because oh, because of the, the name. Rohingya. So if if it if the, the 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 case continue to be called as Rohingya and not both people, some countries do not want to come, hmm. unless it is changed into both people or irregular migration. But still, when when uh, the case had been changed into irregular migration, not all countries uh, want to attend. When only six countries come to the meeting, it is not ASEAN. That's, that's the rule of game in ASEAN. So uh, I think ASEAN need to at some point accept that migration is, is fact of life. It's happening. And what, what ASEAN state need to do is equip themselves how to deal with mig migrant workers or migration. Because they are coming from the region as well, some of them. Uh, yeah, so I think there are a number of uh, progress uh, at the moment and also some of the issues that ASEAN continue to discuss and mm -hmm. not having uh, any solution yet. Mm. So once again, a very similar challenge to the one we face here in Europe when it comes to migration. But uh, Jean-Pierre, when, uh, when Yuyun talks about all these conventions, agreements, uh, meetings that take place, um, there's no, is there, is there a follow-up? Uh, have you seen, or is it because they're not legally binding, so they're really based on consensus, and there doesn't have to be a uh, follow-up? Your issue is one of the most explosive issues of the, this time. It's out there with climate. But it's one that's much being less addressed than climate, which is saying a lot. I think at the meeting of G7, for example, it was not on the table. I'm Microphone sure. clo closer, please. Microphone just closer. Be, sorry, it, was, it wasn't. Uh, it's not being addressed. And again, I think ASEAN has a lot to answer for in terms of illegal migration, slavery. I mean, it's all taking place. But we, again, are hardly a model in Europe. We're, we've not addressed the issue uh, strategically. We've not addressed the issue humanely. And it's not going to go away. 
you know, uh, demographics is destiny. You look at where the demographics are taking place, where the population increases and so on and so forth. So we need a sort of global approach, a regional and global approach to uh, this issue of migration, unfair labor. And as I say, slavery, I think it's estimated there's still about 21 million, 26 million, whatever it is, slaves in various parts of the world. This is a scandal. This is... Uh, should not be happening in the 21st century, it should be addressed immediately, and there should be more pressure from organizations like yourself, civil society, but also uh, businesses, for example. I, I teach in a business school. I keep telling businesses, you can't just look away. This is happening, and you're partly responsible for it. There has to be a greater degree of conscience, and it has an issue which I think has to be raised as often as possible, with figures as often as possible, and try to resolve it. Uh, try to get at least seriously addressed. So I, I think, for example, you talked about France and globalization. I'm French. I was witness to various elections, the recent elections. Needless to say, I'm uh, relieved with the outcome. But it wasn't. I mean, except in the sense of a threat. So migration equals terrorism. So therefore, we've got to combat it. Rather than migration is a fact of life in the 21st century, uh, it's going to be increasing consistently. And trying to understand, why does somebody take the risk of going into a boat with his or her child that might sink and both drown? It has to be pretty desperate. We have to understand what are the forces behind there. We have to have a sort of global policies, martial plans. And this is where I think, to some extent, a lot of been this morning we talked about OBOR, OBOR, I think Obor might do something to, at least in certain parts of the world, alleviate this issue by including more, being more inclusive, including more growth. But this is actually something that should be constantly at the very, very top of the agenda. Mm. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a question from Mario Tello from the University of uh, Brussels. Uh, please, other people as well, do come in. Unusual opportunity. Thank you very much, Mario Tello, University of Brussels. Uh, my question is uh, to everybody is about the development and deepening of the Asian identity within the globalization. Uh, I, I just uh, one minute bring my personal experience in teaching in Hanoi, in Bandung, and in Chulalongkorn University in, uh, in, um, in Bangkok. And uh, at the end of the classes, I always ask uh, my master students, uh, what about the, the drivers of the feeling of common belonging, as Asian is, is concerned? And uh, at the top of the answer come always the same point. Uh, united, we matter more in, within the globalization, in, in the context of globalization. United, we can cope with common and shared fears. Oh, my question is, to what extent Asian is uh, uh, to bridge with the previous speech by Pitsuwan and the other of the first panel, to what, to what extent the centrality of Asian in the architecture for security, economic cooperation, which needs strong cooperation with the neighbors, is combined with the need of strengthening the identity, which is also a, to strengthen the, the, the internal identity, and particularly through the socio-cultural community decided in Kuala Lumpur uh, summit in, uh, in 2015. Is this uh, helping to shape the consolidation of the Asian community and how? Uh, 
uh, about the, uh, developing the, and deepening the identity of ASEAN. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mario. Thank you very much for that question. I'm happy to take uh, any other question that is on, on this issue. Yes, please. Hello, everyone. I'm Sreimom. I'm a, um, a freelance researcher and a former research coordinator at the international organization based in Cambodia. And my interest point was addressed to um, the migration issue and also to um, the economic integration. First, uh, as you could see, that as far as I'm concerned, other country or ASEAN member states, they, they don't have... Uh, uh, they don't consider, I'm afraid, the, um, for example, based on the uh, United Nations Convention of uh, Human Trafficking and Transnational Crime, and uh, um, there are three types of exploitation. First of all, labor exploitation, human trafficking, and organ, uh, organ trafficking. And so in some countries of Asia, they don't consider that as a criminalized or a type of crime. And part of that, in other countries in Asia, they don't adopt that uh, human trafficking law yet. So at the, at the ASEAN level, how could you uh, uh, um, ensure this sort of right. uh, a gap in policy and, and law in, in this kind of issue? And my concern to the second point is to the ASEAN integration, economic integration. So, for example, Cambodia is a massive labor, uh, a massive labor intensive. Thus, we would be the sending labor force to other countries. I'm afraid, I'm, I think also other countries in, in the region, for example, Myanmar and, and Vietnam. So what happened to those who are in need, who are right. vulnerable? especially to women and children, and also uh, you, you could say, um, as far as I'm concerned, sorry, as far as I'm concerned that uh, those labor intensive, they are having limited of education. Right. So what can be done to that, right. to fill this gap and to also make sure that the ASEAN integration really fruitful to all the member states? Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. So very similar, very similar questions about identity, about what's being done to prevent human rights abuses, and what's being done, I think, especially for workers, because that's very high up on the ASEAN economic community agenda. Tita, would you like to... I'm going to make this the final round, so give everyone a chance to speak, but let's start with Tita. Well, I think one of the EU projects is to make the harmony of knowledge among ASEAN communities. That's why the Erasmus and the Share Scholarship programs. And it's very interesting to me. It's that's really true because of the disharmony of knowledge. We do have so many problems. Yeah, including the labor migrations, human trafficking, so and so. And then I think, for example, like in my countries. Because of this disharmony of knowledge between EU and ASEAN, or among ASEANs, and most of the concerns having by EU is not really matched with our own concern, or our own concerns have never met with the concerns of the other ASEAN community or countries. So that's the, I think, this is the... Uh, we should focus on this harmony of knowledge as an area of concerns. 
to break through all these conflicts or barriers. Otherwise, we cannot get out of this kind of the lock. That, that's why I think sometimes we wish our context, that the problem is beginning from our side, I think, because of the total isolation, propaganda, censorship, low quality educations, the uh, Burma is kind of the handicap as a country or the society. So I think it's more or less true to our ASEAN communities because of the uh, long-term dictatorship, ideological trap, so-and-so. It's make our people its lack of knowledge. And because of that, learning about us is pretty much limited to all of you. So that's why when we do have our own concerns, our peace issue, uh, looking at the other things as a real problem, but the whole world looking at us is in the other directions. Your concern is not exactly as our concerns. It's because of the disharmony of the knowledge, I think. So that's why I think uh, we should look at all the problems from that point of view. That's why I think the freedom of expression and learning about the society, not just through the popular, commercial, or social media, is never being helpful, especially in this world of the advanced technology. The information is booming and very, pretty much uh, overwhelming. And to, uh, even though what we know is more and more, but what we understand is less and less mm. because of this booming of the information. That's why I think we all have to open to learn more deeper into the context and understand what's our real concern. If you do have a concern on our concern, please analyze what's our concern and let's solve the problems together. That's Right. So, uh, so I'm going to ask all of you this one question. So if you do have an ASEAN dream, ASEAN in 50 years, Tita, I'm going to start with you. What? Start with you. Answer me. <laughs> so if you, if you were to look 50 years, 25 years, your ASEAN dream, in very, very briefly, would be what? More knowledge of each other? Well, I think the not like EU. You can expand <laughs> under the name of EU, but as ASEAN, we cannot that much expand. So, in there are this, a couple of countries wait. Oh, there's one country at least waiting. Not that much, you know. Not many, it's yeah. it's the, the the demographically we are quite rigid if we talk ASEAN. So, what we can see for the next 50 years, until and unless we try to understand and learn our concerns deeply enough. Right. We cannot solve the problems properly. And that's why I think the, the, even for the uh, formation of the ASEAN is more or less like based on the trade. And we try not to criticize each other governments based on the political ideology or the, in terms of the human rights issue. That's make us more limited for the harmony of knowledge. Right. Again. So that's why I think in 50 years, with the uh, assistance of the new technology and the booming of the more, like, I might say, rootlets 
interchanging young generation, we can still have a hope to break through this kind of the disharmony of knowledge. Okay, so less consensual, more, uh, more frank and confrontational, uh, ASEAN. More to the, to, the, to, the, to the grid, let's say. Uh, Owen. I would say um, to have a concrete mechanism in supporting one another is one of the um, things that Asian country can improve. Um, for example, um, one of the issues is we don't really understand the problem of one another. And this is something that we need to understand. And the empathy is something very important among our, our member states. Um, for example, when I was in a meeting um, among the young leader in, in, um, um, among Southeast Asian um, countries, so there were, were only few countries that could understand our problems. We're sharing the same issue. For example, Cambodia, Myanmar, and Laos. We were sharing similar issue, while um, Thailand, um, Singapore, and Malaysia, they were sharing different issues. Right. So to, to understand one another is one one of the thing, core things that we need to do. And another one is to, to have the mechanism that can, can help, like the other developed country can help and assist the other developing countries by providing ideas, providing ways, and what the experience that they've been through. So this kind of thing is really important for us to, for example, um, the developing country to decide which way we should go as well, like getting more idea. And this will um, fill the gaps of inequality in the future, I, I hope, um, in terms of education, in terms of economic, in terms of politics, in terms of human rights, um, so that we can achieve the same dream as the integration. It would be great to have this kind of elements inside it. Um, and another one is the inclusivity that I, I feel like we need to have that more in terms of um, the government, state, the CSO, and also the private sectors. We have a lot of challenges in getting private sector in involving in policy making, and that's also posed the issue of uh, the migrant workers um, to what the other countries, and also uh, the well-being of people in the countries as well. So um, this kind of inclusivity need to have more among Asian countries. So an ASEAN dream where there is less uh, of a gap between the advanced economies, advanced nations of ASEAN, and the ones that have yet to catch up but are yeah. trying hard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Reinhard, you're not ASEAN, I know. But still, looking to the region as you do, uh, where would you like it to be in about, say, 50 years or so? I would basically hope for three developments, one that ASEAN would create its own economic vision of developing a resilient, sustainable economy. I think this is a shared challenge for everybody globally, but so far, I think there's still a lot of room for discussion in that regard. Second, um, coming back to the question about identity, I would hope that ASEAN would develop a space where people can live differentiated, overlapping identities, because if we allow the identity issue to become a trap where the reduction of complexity dominates, that creates uh, a lot of internal and external tensions. So 
allowing um, societal relations that give people this opportunity of having complex identities. And third, from a power politics point of view, I would say over the next 15 years, if the UN still exists, one of the ASEAN nations should sit on the Security Council. So, so just follow, follow up, Reinhard, because we're also talking about EU ASEAN. Can the EU help in, uh, can it, I mean, there are so many programs. We have uh, people in the, in the room who know a lot about the different development programs, assistance programs that exist. The EU can help define, I guess, the issues of resilient economy at least. Well, I would say real help always depends on somebody who asks for it. You can't impose help. Uh, and I would rather talk about collaboration yeah. and mutual learning. Uh, and certainly the EU has an interest and it has something to offer and it has ways of doing it. So, yes, uh, there, there would be a strong uh, motivation on our side to go in that direction. But I would like to add that maybe we also have to understand that we have to take a fresh look at each other. For instance, a lot of the uh, ASEAN perceptions of the EU are framed through a British lens. Most people are reading uh, British media. Uh, the UK has had a very strong relationship now that we are going to experience Brexit. What's going to be the venue of understanding? Where are you going to look at to understand what's happening within the EU? And how are we in the EU finding ways of explaining ourselves better under the new realities. I think that's also something we have to invest into in, the, in a very practical way. We can't expect that to just develop autonomously by itself. We have to do something about it. Mm. Thank you very much for making that point. I've heard it often, actually, in many emerging countries that the view is often formed on the basis of uh, British press reports, which, as we know, can sometimes not be very accurate. So uh, thank you for making that point as well, uh, Reinhard. I'm going to turn to you, Yu Yun. So you talk a lot about uh, what's going not right, let's put it this way, in the region. You track, you monitor, you alert. I mean, I have to say you're doing commendable work. I wouldn't know about ASEAN if you weren't sending me emails, and I think that holds for a number of people here. But what's going right, and what's going towards this dream, this ASEAN dream? Uh, before that, can I also answer uh, the yes, question yes. in relation to... Everything's allowed. So what happened if there are victims of trafficking? Um, I mentioned about number of agreements that ASEAN has done, but there are a number of networks uh, uh, spread out in Southeast Asia. So for instance, uh, legal aid organizations in number of countries come together to provide aid, uh, legal aid for, for victims. Um, I also, uh, ACWC, the ASEAN Commission on Women and Children, had this project of NOSA, Network of Social Services Agency, which is now difficult to move on. But 
I was one of the consultant for for uh, for that project. So I uh, I did interview and observation in Fa Philippines, uh, Thailand, and Cambodia. Uh, it, it's very obvious that there is a need to cooperation among states. There is a need cooperation among civil society in dealing with daily basis situation, especially victims come. Uh, um, Trafficking issue come like 24 hours a day. Uh, the problem is they don't have enough funds because trafficking issue is not uh, is not cheap. It's, it's very expensive to deal with, and language uh, that's also a problem. So I went to a shelter in in Bangkok uh, that has accepted a number of victims, uh, and num some of the staff speak uh, a Khmer, a Malay. Uh, as well as Khmer uh, Cambodian, uh, Myanmarese. So this organization, well equipped, because it's under the auspices of the, the king, uh, the prince, sorry. Um, so, um, but, but yeah, a number of uh, cooperation needed to be there. Uh, there is also initiative of network on um, uh, witness protection. Uh, witness protection institution, mainly state organs, and they also deal with number of issues of trafficking, and they do not know how to do uh, the issue of trafficking without cooperation, among among others. The Southeast Asian Network on National Human Institutions also have this kind of cooperation. So, so I think number more and more institutions, uh, state organs, civil society, really. Uh, want to come together to deal with the issue of migration. There are a lot of issues in relation to uh, procedures, um, yeah. uh, funding, language, and some technical issues. Um, I also would like to, I was the team leader of uh, EU, regional EU ASEAN uh, dialogue instruments on human rights. It offers me uh, a tremendous experience because I was, I was civil society, now I'm scholar, but before that I was also dealing with the project between the two regions. What I admire about the project, of course I'm biased because I was team leader of that project. Uh, what I, I admire about the project was that in one, one side, ASEAN, in this case, ASEAN Intergovernmental Commission on Human Rights and ASEAN Commission on Women and Children, want to go to direction, the right direction, I think, which is more on developing of human rights norms. When it comes to norms in ASEAN, of course, we always talk about non-legally binding norms, uh, especially on human rights, because it's so difficult to, de to deal with. But nevertheless, they are trying to uh, put uh, into more standardized uh, procedures in terms of child protection system, right. how to have child protection system in, in ASEAN, regardless uh, uh, that the situation of countries is different. So guidelines pro pro provide you with the direction, how to go step by step. Uh, the ICER, the ASEAN Intergovernmental Commission, for, in, for instance, also uh, thinking about coming up with the guideline on media freedom. Uh, legal aid, um, 
number of issues. So, so headway is uh, being made. So yeah, progress so is being made. Progress yeah. has been made in, in the area of, of, of human rights in ASEAN. At the same time, the, the, this project, the EU ASEAN project on human rights, called Ready Human Rights, I think has been putting uh, a perfect uh, approaches, which uh, based on the principle of demand-driven, okay. flexible um, dialogue, and uh, wait, I make a policy coherence. So, you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think we, we need to break a little bit, and I still need to go to Jean-Pierre. So, in a, in a sense, if I was to say, so ASEAN Dream would be greater sort of uh, dialogue between the EU on, on these kinds of issues which really lead to progress on the ground. Yeah. Am, I, am I summarizing that right? Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Jean-Pierre. Thank you very much. I mean, one of the reasons I'm here was when you announced the meeting, I said I just reviewed, written a review of Kishore Mabubani's book, The Asian Miracle, ASEAN Miracle. How many people have read it? No, it came out this year. It came out in March, this year, right? ASEAN Miracle. I strongly recommend it. Uh, it's very interesting. It covers the last 50 years. And indeed, for those of us who were around in ASEAN 50 years ago, in Vietnam, in Cambodia, and so forth, what has happened is miraculous. It has to be recognized. It's fantastic. Uh, what needs to be done now is to build on it uh, and further develop the next 50 years by identifying, I would say, three issues. Climate and environment. I mean, we haven't talked about that, but that's a problem. The environment. The environment. Yes, yes, that's an I mean, this entire is about the common planet. Topic, you're right. Uh, I think this is very important. Very important. We really, really should get back to that. A common humanity, so a much greater degree of humanity in terms of uh, link, deals with people, uh, the issues that you've been talking about, etc. And probably developing a common rules book that will be uh, recognized as being the standard bearer, etc. Just to finish, one of the things which I've done in Hong Kong at the university where I teach, where my class is composed of Chinese from China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, ASEAN, etc., 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 pretty global. I did this year. So I asked them to select two or three SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, and to choose two or three countries in Asia how they would apply these Sustainable Development Goals uh, in order to achieve uh, these specific goals. And I, I, I'd never done this before, so I recommend it. It's a very interesting tool, because it's all very well having dreams and visions and saying da-da-da-da, like I've just said, common humanity, uh, uh, common planet, world. common etc. But the SDGs target how you actually achieve that. Things like, many of them chose by the gender equality, uh, but of course environmental issues, ocean, etc., etc., etc. So I think uh, the SDGs, using the SDGs, as a means of building up the ASEAN dream, it's something that could be recommended because it is there, it's concrete. Thank you very much. So that brings us to the end of the second session. I mean, I have to say that I also have an ASEAN dream and, and that I have seen it, I've seen it come true over the years. It's been a slow process. It speeds up, it slows down, a bit like the European Union. So I see a lot of parallels and my ASEAN dream really is to keep going on track on the different tracks that they are, people to people, economic, and, and, and the political. I think all three need to move together. And I think, ladies and, and the two gentlemen, I think you've proven that we need to really progress on the people to people uh, issues as well in the, in the coming 
uh, in the coming years. So thank you uh, very much to all the panelists. Uh, thank you for, for your questions and your attention. And there's another coffee break now, and then we come back uh, and we have a discussion on economic ties between ASEAN and EU. We have Ambassador Ong, a former Secretary General also from Singapore of the ASEAN, who is here, and Helena Koning from the, uh, from the DG Trade at the European Commission. So we're going to have a discussion on the ASEAN economic community after having talked about people. Thank you very much indeed.